Thanks for listening to Hope Central's latest message. You can learn more about Hope Central or find more messages at hopecentral.org.au. I was talking to Joe uh, about this. He wanted me to talk about discovering yourself. And, and this is what came to my mind. I thought freedom to discover, discovering to be free, is kind of like when young people go for work and they get knocked back because they don't have enough experience. But they need to have the job to get experience in the job to be able to get the job. It's one of those sort of things. And this, this kind of came to me. I've, I've heard that before. You don't have enough experience, so you can't do this. I'm like, well, how am I supposed to get experience in? It's a bit of an oxy, oxymoron. But I really wanted to talk about this today. So uh, a few months ago, we went away and uh, we went to Robe. Uh, it's a really nice place. Went with some friends. And uh, for a day trip, we thought we'd go to Mount Gambia. And we visited uh, Umphuston sinkholes. Anyone been there? The Umph- Umphuston? Yeah, it's really interesting. You go down a, a sinkhole and there's all this garden. The, the people that originally owned the land built a garden in there and it's quite pretty. And uh, anyway, I, I came home a couple of weeks later and, and on my, my feed, uh, when I went on the internet, it came up with this uh, sinkhole that just appeared in Chile. And I ended up going down this, this rabbit hole about sinkholes or a sinkhole about sinkholes, if you will. And sinkholes just appear sometimes. Have you seen those videos where people are driving on the road and then the car just disappears? Yeah, and I started to get this fear about sinkholes and thinking I better check my house, make sure that everything's okay underneath. But as I'm, as I'm looking through this, I found that they found there's, there's lots of sinkholes in this region in, in China. And they call the, the soil, the, the ground there is called karst, K-A-R-S-T. And I'm not a geologist. It'd be great for Pastor Peter to be here today. He could probably explain this a lot better. But how I understand it is that the, the ground around there is, is really susceptible to rainwater with, rainwater with a little bit of acid in it. And so it just eats away and therefore the ground just collapses. And so they've got sinkholes everywhere and they're amazing as i'm reading this one of the titles said spelunkers are so excited to see what new species they will find do you know what a spelunker is someone who explores a cave i love that i learned so many new words in the last couple of weeks it's great spelunker trying to fit that in everyday conversation is not easy trust me people think you're a bit odd weighing up whether i should say this one i will do you know what a diver was called the first divers you do? Do you know what they were called? They were called urinators. <laughs> yes, because it means to plunge into water. And I was like, that's where they got this part term spelunker and stuff from. Anyway, I'll move on from that because that's an awkward conversation. But all these new words, when they come to you, like, oh, this is fascinating. I'm learning new things all the time. But these spelunkers were so excited to discover what was at the bottom of this new sinkhole that they found. They, they, apparently there's all these new species of plants under there and they were so excited to explore. And it made me think, explorers, I talk about this with my son a lot. He's, he's fascinated by, by explorers. On here we've got Leif Erikson and uh, I always forget how to pronounce it, uh, Sacagawea. Is that right? If you watch Night at the Museum, you learn how to say that one. Or uh, Neil Armstrong, when you think of explorers, do you think of Neil Armstrong? You don't naturally, you think of people like Columbus, Polo, Magellan, Cortez, all those sort of people. But Neil Armstrong exploring the moon, I mean, what an experience he would have had going up there and, and doing that. Such a, an opportunity that so very few people have. And I was talking to Edward about this. He's my son, Edward. He's, he's so interested. It's so exciting when he's hearing about explorers because like, they get to go and see something new. And I said, yeah, but it came at great cost. 
is a huge sacrifice, an incredible sacrifice. You see, a lot of early explorers, when they left home, they left families behind with the, with the, the knowledge that they may never see them again. They left their home behind, their, their place which was comfortable, the place where they, they knew things, the place where they were like, this is, this is where I'm at, I understand everything here, to go and explore something completely unknown for this experience, this experience to, to find something new. I mean, what drives an explorer? The, the passion to find something new, the, the growth to go, oh, my, my hometown needs, needs to expand, so we need to find new ways. Or curiosity, all of those things, they, they chase the experience, don't they? But their experiences come back to people back home. I, uh, when I was a kid, my dad used to collect National Geographic. Does anyone ever collect those books? You get a National Geographic. I think it was like every week. A little yellow books. Anyone collect them? No? You did? Well, they come with these. Every now and then you can get special edition ones. They come with maps. And I've got all my dad's old maps, all these uh, like really big world maps and stuff at home. And, and I love rolling them out and looking at them. And, and they're really interesting. But have you seen maps like this before? Early maps. And what they would do is they'd have monsters... In, in the water, have you seen that? Original maps like that are a fortune. They are fantastic. They're really collectible. But why did they draw monsters in there? You know, this was uncharted water, what they've got here, and they'd have monsters in there. And a lot of the times they would put that on there to say, that's unknown, it's dangerous. There be monsters over there. When I was chatting with Joe, he said, that's what they would say. They'd say, there be monsters, be, beware. And so people back home, they would, they would hear this and see these maps and go, that's uncharted waters. It's, it's scary. You've heard that before, uncharted waters, haven't you? It's scary. There'll be monsters out there. What am I going to experience if I go and do that? I, uh, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and uh, this was a typical classroom for me with a chalkboard. Who grew up with a chalkboard in their classroom? Yep. And you throw the dusters at your mates in class and yeah, all that sort of stuff, get in trouble for it. I had this teacher when I was in year... I think it was year two, and um, he was a little bit, little bit crazy. He, uh, he used to teach in high school, and then he came down and taught kids in primary school, and he just had, like, no tolerance for kids. And uh, I think the second day I was with him, one of the kids, their desk was messy, right? I mean, think of that, uh, year two with a messy desk. That's just unheard of, right? Yeah. And he comes in, he says, this, this is unacceptable, and he flipped the desk in the classroom, and I was sitting in the corner, like, you know, like this, like, what am I going to get in trouble for now, you know? Anyway, I remember halfway through the year, they, we had some, like, safety talks, and safety talks in the 80s were just so bad. And uh, there was this, this huge thing about watching out for needles being left around on the ground. And I wasn't really listening. All I remember in the lesson was the teacher drawing on the chalkboard this, this long line on the chalkboard and saying, watch out for them because you'll get AIDS. And I was like, what? I don't want AIDS. And then they told us what AIDS was. And it's like, it's the worst thing in the world. I don't want AIDS. You know, no, no one wants that. But I, I didn't hear the rest of the talk, you know, what the needle was and all that. I just thought something long and pointy and that, that was like the worst thing ever. And so a couple of weeks later, I'm away with, with my mum and my sister and my cousin and my auntie and, and we're at Clare Caravan Park. And there's this creek that goes all the way through Clare Caravan Park. And I've got these water, like big wellies on and we're walking in the water and trying to see how close we can get to the edge of the boots. And, and then you, you just find a hole and you just completely fall in it. And it's like, it's not just your boots that are wet, it's, you're completely wet. And I fell in 
And I thought, oh, no. So I got up and I'm all, you know, laughing about it. My cousin's laughing. And I go to climb up the creek bed on the side of the, the creek. And it's all kind of grassy and bushy. And I put my hands through this, this bush and something stabbed me in the hand. And I thought, I've got AIDS. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I don't know what to do. I've got AIDS. And so I went back to the... <laughs> Love kids. I went back to the, the room that we were staying in and I'm just sitting in a corner like this. I remember mum coming in and she said, are you all right? I said, I think I've got AIDS. <laughs> I mean, imagine hearing that as a parent, you know. And, and my mum handled it really well. She's like, L- like I, don't think, I don't think you've got AIDS. You're all right. And, you know, it was a stick that got me in the hand. It wasn't a needle. It was a stick. But this experience that I had at school caused so much fear that when I experienced something else, it was factual it was like, this is really happening. I've, I've got AIDS. And the rest of the trip, I didn't want to explore that creek. I didn't want to get into it. My cousin's running around. He's running barefoot through the creek, you know, just absolutely loving it. And I thought, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not having a part of that. I'm not having a part of that. It, it, it totally killed my passion to want to discover anything more. You know, what happens to our desire as we get older? What happens to our desire to explore the world? But not only the world, but, but ourselves. All these experiences that happen in our life, they, they can trap us and, and realistically they cause us to avoid life. They stop us from experiencing life. I remember uh, years ago, um, I used to hang out with my dad on a, on a Monday and, and have lunch with him and uh, he said to me, Matty, you've got to try this steak sandwich uh, that, that I've been eating, like, you've got to try this. It's from, from a deli. And I said, oh, okay. I'm not really big on trying new food, right? Like, I've been, I've had food poisoning a couple of times. When you've had food poisoning, you kind of like, I'm just going to eat, like, Rivetas for the rest of my life. You know, like, you think, that's it, I'm done. But I remember, and, and my dad's like, no, 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 you've got to come and try this. And I said, oh, all right. So we're driving, and we're driving through Clemsic Way, and we're on the main road there, and then we turn off, we go down a side street. And then we start going through all these other side streets and, and I'm like, where are we going? And we end up at this shop, an old dingy shop, right? And it says tobacconist on the top of the, the thing and there's like cigarette signs all over it. And I thought, all I'm going to get from here is salmonella. <laughs> like I, I am not going to get anything great from here. And we walked into this shop and as we walk in, it's probably about probably from my hip to here wide and from here to the edge of the stage and you walk in, it's like one person at a time to order. It's almost like the soup Nazi sort of style of thing and you, and you get up there one person at a time and you order your steak sandwich and, and it's behind this like um, Bay, Bay Marie with like chicken wings in it and chico rolls that look like they were put in there in 1972, you know, like they still had the original advertising on them, you know, or that, a dim sim that got up and walked out. Like you're thinking, what is going on in here? And we ordered this steak sandwich, but Dad's like, you want, want one? I'm like, yeah. And he says, with a lot, like, whatever, whatever you say, we'll go. And I had this steak sandwich. It was, it was fantastic. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. But this is the thing that got me really excited. It was $5 for a steak sandwich with two chicken wings and a can of Coke. Yes. That, I, I couldn't, where's this place? Yeah. Five bucks. He's gone out of business. <laughs> I've gone back a couple of times hoping from it. It's now a church down there, a really good church there as well. But I remember that, and my experience nearly stopped me from, from trying this. But then I experienced this sandwich, and I, I'm, I'm full of life again. And I'm like, now I can eat anything. I can eat anything again. Do you know, we're not very good at processing our experiences in life. 
I can go, that steak sandwich was the best, therefore now I can eat everything. And, and people here go, no, that's not true. <laughs> you can't eat everything. You can't eat everything. But we do. We, we sometimes go that this experience that I had here now means that every other experience in my life that is like that is going to be the same. We, we don't get very, we, like we're not very good at valuing experiences in our life. I think we haven't been taught how to do it. That's the struggle. We haven't been taught how to validate our experiences. One bad experience, everything is bad. Do you know the word experience is from the word experiment? Did you know that? Have you ever thought about this? A, a, a really successful scientist won't experiment once. He'll experiment a lot to find the answer. An unsuccessful scientist will experiment once or twice to prove a point they already have. And it's like that in life. You see, we, we have this thing called self-preservation. And when we experience something and it doesn't line up with, I feel good, that was okay, I'm comfortable, or it, 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 was, it was great. If it doesn't line up with that, we, we label that as a bad thing that we now need to avoid and we need to run from. It's like this. We filter our experiences through our self-preservation I prayed for someone once and they didn't get healed. Therefore, why would I pray for anybody again? I gave to the church lots of money and they bought a bus with it that they didn't use. Why would I give money to the church again? That was my experience. Therefore, it's going to be the same in everything I do from here on. You know, we've all experienced trauma, discomfort and discouragement to some degree in our life. And if anyone can say they've had a life of experiences, it's this guy, Moses. What a life he lived. He was put in a basket and put in a river and sent off. Like, we know why. It's, it's a full-on story. But imagine knowing that about your life. I was put in a basket and sent off at whim, hoping that someone would catch me. He was raised by royalty. He was a murderer. He had so many things going on in his life, stuff that, that we haven't experienced. And... You know, when you, when you read about Moses and you read the, the, the things and the choices that he makes and the way he, he lives his life, it becomes quite clear to me that he didn't think too much about himself. You see, his experiences formed a picture of who he is, who he was. That's what he believed. He's like, this is who I am now because of my life experiences. It says this in Exodus. And this is a story where, where God is talking to Moses uh, from a burning bush that, that wasn't being consumed. It says this in Exodus 3. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Who am I? Who am I? He says that, doesn't he? He says, who am I to do this, Lord? Why are you asking me to do it? He was so trapped by his perception of himself. He was so trapped that it took a burning bush that wasn't being consumed, the audible voice of God, to partly convince him to go and talk to Pharaoh. Because as you read on, he's still like talking to God, saying, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I can't talk. I don't know if I can do this. He was so trapped by his life experience that when God showed up in his life, he was extremely reluctant to do something about that. God showed up in a burning bush in front of him. But I love this. You know, even though he had all that, why, I don't know why, but Moses decides, yes, I'll, I'll do this. I will go to Pharaoh. 
And we're thinking about his past life. He's had these experiences and now he's going to go to Pharaoh and he's going to say to Pharaoh, let God's people go and they're just going to go because God just told me that. But what happens? He goes to Pharaoh. Ten times he goes there and it's the same bad experience. Continued bad experiences and yet he pushes through and goes and then free my people, free my people, nah, free my people, nah, free. And it just keeps happening. He keeps experiencing these bad experiences finds himself in a frustrating place, even with people around him saying, why are you doing that? But why did he keep going back to Pharaoh? I believe this. His experience was God with God far outweighed any experience he was going to have with men. His experience with God that he had, so real and tangible and, and connected, caused him to see that it doesn't matter what experience I have in flesh and blood now. I'm connected to God and I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. His experience with God outweighed his experience with men. So I want to ask you this this morning then. What experience in your life is greater than your faith in God? That's a pretty hard question. What experience in your life is causing you to stop seeking God? God is longing for us to seek him in every aspect of our lives. I love the story of, of Elijah. See a picture of him here calling down fire from heaven to burn uh, a sacrifice that was completely smothered in water. And then straight after this, what does he do? He kills 400 prophets of Baal. And then what happens? He hears this report that Jezebel is after him and going to kill him. So what does he do? He runs away, hides in a cave. And you think, man, he just, he just experienced something so amazing. Why would he go after one bad report? Why would he run away? Why would he do that? You know, he ended up in this cave with, with no hope. And it can be like us so many times. We have experienced things, but we, we validate experiences that are bad as greater than the experiences that are genuine with God. We validate those things that, that make me feel uncomfortable as really important in our life and we need to be free from them. But you see, Elijah ran thinking he would be free from this. We're all trapped in some way or another in our lives. And we want freedom, but we continually look for it in the wrong place. If only my finances were better, I'd be free. If only my family weren't so difficult, amen. If only my physical health was better, if only I had a career that was successful, if only my mental health was better, if only I could go out without having or experiencing anxiety, if only I didn't have to worry about my kids' future, if only people wouldn't say bad things about me, if only I didn't have to meet other people's expectations, if only I could run from all of this, I would have complete freedom. But we know it's not true. We think that freedom comes from the issue not being around. And, and Joe kind of talked on this the other week. It's like we think that if I can avoid all these things and then I experience a freedom from it. But the, we live in a world where these things are just going to keep coming at us. And if we're looking from freedom to be a place where I don't have to deal with any of this, we're, we're, we're listening to a lie. It says this in First Kings. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Have you ever found yourself in a place going, What am I doing here? What am I doing here? My experiences have brought me here. My experience has brought me to a place where I'm now hiding in a cave. I'm trying to avoid all my problems, hoping that they will go away. I really like this this passage here because I remember years ago when, when my eyes started to go bad, I was seeking God for a healing and going, Lord, I need you to heal my eyes. They need to be better. I, I, need to be, I don't want to go blind. I don't want these issues in my eyes. And, and I was constantly seeking God for this, hoping that he would heal me because if he healed me, then I would be free from this. And I remember one, one Sunday coming up the front and this peace came over me like nothing else. A peace that said, even if you go blind, even if you can't see, I'm, I'm still God in your life. And I can give you a peace that will surpass any knowledge that you have, Matt. Any sort of understanding of finding freedom. You see, we look for God in the, in the dramatic. And we think he's going to come in the earthquake. Everything's going to be torn up and it's going to be fixed. He's going to come in the storm and everything's going to get washed away and everything's going to be fixed. See, we've been taught to look for God in certain ways. But God is asking us to seek him in every aspect of our lives but not always the way we think. It's like this in Jeremiah 29. It's a great passage. And we've got the Israelites, they're, they're captured and, uh, and they're freaking out and they're saying, uh, Elijah, come on, we need, need a word from God. When is he going to come and free us from this? And, and Elijah has to bring this word that says, no, God wants you to stay here and be captive. He wants you to stay here. He wants you to stay here in this place that you think is the worst place ever because it pretty much was for them and so Jeremiah says this he says also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile pray to the Lord for it pray to the Lord for this this town this place that is causing you struggles because if it prospers you too will prosper your peace and freedom comes from seeking God in your experiences not running from them we think, I need freedom from this. My freedom's going to come if I don't have to deal with this anymore. And, and that couldn't be a bigger lie. God wants us to find our peace and freedom in the struggles. He wants us to find our peace and freedom in those stresses, those times that are traumatic, those times that, that break us, those times that cause us to go, I don't want to do this. I want to go hide in a cave. He wants us to look for him in those times. When Elijah... Sorry. Yeah, this is, this is great. But I want to say this. I, I lose my train of thought a lot when I'm talking, and, and it's a big struggle. And you can put notes down as much as you like, but putting yourself out here on, on stage is something that I, I have found to be an extremely difficult thing for me. And because the, the thoughts of success come from, I've got to be like someone else, or I've got to do it like this, and it's not true. It's just God wants us to just, just do. 
He wants us to do. You see, we think, I need to have the experience. I need to get it right. And my experience needs to line up with how other people's experiences have been. And, and we become poor, poor judges of this. We, we don't validate things for what they are. And, and we need a new perspective on these things. In Ephesians, it says this. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. You know, God's inheritance is freedom from the lies of this world. God's inheritance in your life is a freedom in everything that you have to face, a life full of peace and freedom. That's God's inheritance, but we need to put God first. Those things that are in front of us, my health concerns, my financial concerns, my stresses, my struggles, my career, all those things that we put here means that we can't see God and God wants our eyes to be enlightened and focused on him because when we see him, everything else comes into perspective. In Romans 12, it says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. It is, if it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. love this passage. It says, humility. To humble yourself. Don't think more of yourself than you ought. Moses had a picture of himself and, and he thought purely about, I'm not good enough. He didn't know who he was in God. And then when we talk about Elijah, what did Elijah do when he recognised God? He covered his, his face. He, he humbled himself in front of God, knowing what he was doing wasn't wrong. It wasn't right. He knew that. And so he thought, no, I've got to, I've got to practice humility because I want to hear what God has to say. Because if he didn't and God was there, we know he would have died. The glory of God is enough to, to kill a man, but he covered himself and, and, and humbled himself. And it says here in Romans, don't think more of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. There's kind of a, a pattern here I'm, I'm picking up as I was reading these scriptures that says that if I want to grow, I need to stop putting myself first because humility is me second, God first. That's humility. And when we, we, we put these things in front of us, that's self-preservation. I'm, I'm putting this in my, my life and this is now bigger than God in my life. And when you do that, you succumb to that and it doesn't bring life to you. It doesn't bring peace and freedom, not like God does. Not eternal like God does for us. Me second, God first. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, 
visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.